Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, got to talk some USC football. A lot of news breaking over the weekend as regards to USC's potential 2020 football season. We know the schedule. There's been some movements going on. There's some moves being made with inside the USC athletic department. We're going to talk about all of that stuff with Dan Weber and Keely Yor. If you have any questions or comments, Please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you could call or text us at 424-254-9141. Shoot us a text. Leave us a brief voicemail. We appreciate all of that, what you do. Uh, Also, if you have the Apple podcasting app on your phone or your iPad or anything, please, five-star ratings and reviews are awesome. That really helps us grow the show. And subscribe. Tell your friends. Anyone you know is a USC football fan. Let them know about the Peristyle podcast, and hopefully they thank you for it. We will thank you for that, and we're going to thank Keely Yor for being here on the line. Keely, how are you? Hello, hello. Doing well. Lots of news to talk about, Ryan, especially news that broke while you were out in no-service land. I was in no-service land over the weekend, Catalina camping. I mentioned this when we had Coach Harvey Hyde show yesterday, and of course, all this stuff happened. There was, you know, breaking news. Dan had to go on a call that I was supposed to be on because I didn't have any service. It is nice though, Keely, just unplug for a couple of days, but it's weird when you get back to your phone and all these messages and stuff happen because it's, it's a little bit of catch up for like 48 hours of no access. I'm sure that was a leap of faith you took to, to turn off your phone while everything's happening. So well done. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was no choice. Like where we were camping <laughs> is the other side of Catalina Island. It's just remote. There's no service there. So uh, yeah, if I, you know, no Wi-Fi, nothing like that, but it was good. Good to camp, just sleep in a tent and go swim in the ocean and just get away for a while. But now I'm back and you get back Sunday night and like, whoa, all this stuff is going on. And we wanted to get Dan Weber on cause we got to get his opinion on everything. Dan, how are you doing? Doing good. And I'm not sure that by turning your phone out and getting, getting past internet reception, you're actually missing all that much because as I think back about what we got this weekend, we now know when the what the Pac-12 football schedule is, but we have no idea when the games will be played. Think about that. That's the perfect way to describe what's going on. We've got the schedule. We have no idea when they're going to play the games. Wait a minute. Hello? You've yeah. got the schedule? You have no idea when the games are going to... And that's exactly the case. You mean like game times or you mean like... Because like the way weeks. it's like, how? like game one might be game 10 game, you know, oh, yes. two might be game five or six or whatever. We have no idea. So you can say, hey, I got the Pac-12 football schedule here. I just don't know when any of these games are going to be played <laughs> or if it's like, yeah. oh, did I miss anything then if I didn't get the schedule the first time around? Oh, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if. <laughs> the if thing is the big question too. Like, you know, this is sort of like when you're planning for, I mean, this is, I don't know. This, I'll just make this analogy up, but you're like, Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to ask out, uh, 
you know, uh, Miss America on a date. Like, now, what am I going to wear? Like, you start getting ready. You're like, you're, you're here. I'm going to get reservations for a lot of stuff. And you haven't asked out Miss America yet. Like, the, the, the hard part, I think, is going to be can you actually have a season? Like, so you were doing all this planning, which you need to do, I guess. If you're going to go on a date with Miss America, you kind of need to plan for it. But you might go all this, all this planning might be for naught because you, know, you start fall camp and nobody can practice. Everyone gets sick and you're like, okay, we're done. Uh, so I kind of get that. I mean, I just made that analogy up, but yeah, I, guess I think you're right. Weird. And I think the Pac-12, you know, is the first conference to put out the exact schedule for everybody yes. week by week by week by week. And yet, basically, it's, it might as well be written in invisible ink or disappearing ink or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's just it, it's a an exercise in. Well, we'll later on we'll determine. It's an exercise in what, but uh, you know they feel like they have to do it. It's interesting. USC has a schedule and has no idea when or if it's going to be allowed to start to practice. Wait a minute. Yeah. Isn't that a problem? So we'll, we'll com- get. Oh, go ahead, Keely. Go ahead. I was just going to say, for analogy's sake, I compared it to if you have a friend group, but you have the strict parents, and your friend group's making plans, and you're like, "This sounds like a great plan." But I know my mom's going to say no to this. I mean, like the Pac-12 can plan all they want, but the California schools are tied to local and state guidelines. So sounds great. But how are you actually going to implement this and actually practice? Yeah. Actually, I think that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest, that's, that's what happened. Yeah. Well, we'll get into all that in a second. I just want to let everyone know about our sponsor, Trader Joe's, before we jump into everything. We're going to thank them for uh, their sponsorship over the last few years. Got a little special treat. Uh, I was over a neighbor's house, and they told me about something. They're like, oh, you have to try these ube, mo- ube mochi pancakes. And uh, ube, I guess, is like a purple yam or something uh, from the Philippines. So these are like it's like a purple pancake mix from uh, Trader Joe's. You can make pancakes or waffles. And my neighbors were telling me about it, and they were saying, yeah, they just sold out. They, you can't find them anywhere. And I'm like, well, let me make a call. And so, you know, our guy over there, Trader Joe, sent me a couple boxes. He worked it out. Uh, so it's very cool. So I'm going to try those this week uh, with my neighbors. We're going to do a little uh, social distancing thing in the in the driveway and uh, make some ubi moche pancakes. So I'll let you know how they go. But I don't, I don't know if you heard of those, Keely, but they're like these purple purple pancakes. And I guess they're really popular for some reason. Back in the day before I was gluten-free, I used to have ube bread, which was actually really good. It's like kind of sweet and kind of squishy. So I think I can understand where you're coming from. It sounds good. Also, nice flex. You're like, I just called up my guy. I, I called my guy. <laughs> well you done. know, well, it's, I didn't realize what these things were. And I saw that you can like, there's YouTube videos of people like making them and stuff. So, uh, but I guess they're really hard to find. Uh, and they are so, but I'm going to, so we got, we got a little special flex from our Trader Joe's people. So I got to <laughs> let everyone know, try those out. And before we leave the uh, topic of Trader Joe's, a uh, shout out, and this will be from me, a shout out to Trader Joe's for standing up to the cancel cu- culture people and saying, no, we're going to keep, uh, all of these cool products that we developed over the years with their relationships to all the, uh, all the places that they come from. And we're going to keep the names that we've uh, we've kept for them. Good job, Trader Joe's. Way to go. Oh, yeah, I saw that before, and I thought they were going to, like, and, I, and then I saw, yeah, no, they're going to keep the names. I think there's, like, things like Trader Jose's yep. uh, beer and stuff. And uh, I I think you got to talk to the right people, and if people aren't offended or they're like, you know, there's some people are mad at this, but most people aren't, then, you know, keep them. So 
Um, yeah, I saw that was it was like uh, one of those things I didn't even realize. Like Trader Joe's is per- pretty much a company that is as inclusive of any- anybody, so I don't think they're trying to offend anybody from what they're putting out there. But yeah, thanks. To, but thanks to them and uh, D- Dan, thanks for pointing that out. Um, so the first thing we do, we have to talk about the schedule. Uh, and for USC fans, if you haven't seen it, this came out. On Friday, USC opens with the three California schools. September 26th is the first scheduled game. Like we said, might probably won't happen that weekend, but uh, at UCLA. So at the Rose Bowl to start the season. Uh, Cal at home October 3rd and then at Stanford the following week. Um, so the three California schools right in a row. It's not all three California schools playing each other. Just USC is the only one that's playing all three of them to start. Uh, Colorado is at home October 17th. At Arizona, October 24th, and then USC's bye week. They share it with three other Pac-12 teams, and you can move the game around. You know, that's a, a weekend you could move uh, a game to if you have to. Uh, that's over the uh, that, that that's on Halloween, so they have a bye on Halloween. Uh, Washington State is at home, so that's the new game because Washington State was not on the schedule. It's a home game, November 7th. Then they play at Oregon, which I think a week after they were originally scheduled to play them, November 14th. Uh, Arizona State is at home November 21st, and they go Friday night, November 27th to Utah at Utah, and then they end the season December 5th with Washington at home. December 12th is a weekend game. That's an open. It's an open date for everybody. So, say USC and UCLA weren't able to play because of you know the California LA County restrictions, then they could move it to, to that weekend. Uh, August 17th, we mentioned that's the first day you can have fall camp. And the NCAA will allow you 25 uh, practices for fall camp. So there's some flexibility there, about six weeks, where USC could maybe start a little bit later. It's all going to depend on what the California state and local governments are going to allow. And then at the end of the season, um, either December 18th or 19th is when the Pac-12 championship game will be played. And it will be a home game for the number one seed. It's not going to be in Las Vegas like they originally planned. So cut back on the travel and stuff. But so there was some flexibility built in there as well, which day uh, they could do that. Specifically for USC and the California schools, they're all kind of in a different boat because of the government restrictions. USC and UCLA, both in L.A. County, uh, Santa Clara County for Stanford. And then the city of Berkeley, I think, has been restricting California. As of right now, you couldn't start fall camp at any of the California schools. Stanford has a little bit more leeway with where they are in Santa Clara County. They could have smaller groups uh, be able to gather. So you could have position meetings where you couldn't really do that at USC. I mean, USC, you can't even go inside and lift a weight. Everything's happening outside right now. And the weirdest one, and we'll get both of your responses to, to all of this, the weirdest one is you can't even have a football right now. You can't share a football. They're not allowed to have one player touch a football, then another player touch it uh, at USC, at UCLA, or at Cal. So this, you know, LA County and Berkeley not allowing that. But Santa Clara County, you can have two people touch the ball. So you couldn't have a center quarterback exchange unless the quarterback just ran it himself. Uh, you have to have the quarterback either hand off to a running back, pitch it to a run back, or throw it to a receiver. But you couldn't add the center involved because that would be a third person, and that's not allowed right now. So these are the kind of restrictions that are going on for these California schools. They'll probably not be able to start fall camp until a couple weeks into things, uh, you know, after August 17th. So they'll start things a little bit later. But they have that time. They have, 
you know, it's really, you could squeeze it in in four weeks and they have six. So they could delay it about uh, two weeks and still have a full fall camp. Anything more delayed than that, it's going to be really hard to get all the practices in. So big old rant there. Um, Kaylee, maybe we'll start with you and get a few thoughts and we'll throw it over to Dan because I know he has thoughts. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this is basically like the strict parents um, listening to the press conference because the fact that we actually had a press conference. So we got to hear from Larry Scott for the first time in a long time. And basically, Larry Scott was asked, okay, what's your confidence level that uh, college football will actually be played? And this was towards the end of the presser. And he goes, you know what? I, I don't know. We're trying our best. So it's like, great. You have the commissioner having uh, mailing all this, and he doesn't even know if it can happen, which obviously I don't think it, it looks probable now. But uh, suspending that disbelief, I just have to point out, it's hilarious to me that it's, even in a pandemic, the Pac-12 has continued with the Friday night game at Utah on Black Friday in a pandemic, and it's going to be in November in Utah, which sounds very chilly. So I just thought it was interesting that even in a pandemic, they're going to keep the horrible Friday night road game for USC. <laughs> Although my take on that is this is the first time USC has played in, over Thanksgiving weekend in the, uh, the Friday game. And so I think that kind of removes it from Friday night. The Previously, all the Friday night games that USC's had to play at Washington State and Colorado and Utah were uh, during class weeks, regular weeks, and, uh, and regular you know, non-holiday uh, time. So you, you couldn't play a, on a regular business week. You can't play a game in the afternoon. But on that holiday after Thanksgiving, between Thanksgiving and that Saturday, actually, that's a really good time to play if you play in the afternoon. I think the chances are more that game will be an afternoon game and one of the like holiday weekend packages where uh, you actually get really decent viewing on that Friday afternoon because nobody's working. Uh, but if the game's played at night, all bets are off uh, that, you know, that would be playing that late at night. Yeah, I mean, USC has actually handled it well. And a couple of we've been to a couple of Colorado games that night on Friday that have been really cold. And USC, for some reason, just always has showed up, you know, and played well then. But I think they'll get a chance to play that game in the afternoon uh, would be would be my take. And because that's a holiday week, USC won't be going to classes all week. They won't have to hurry to travel. Uh, you know, they'll probably get there uh, decently early on Thanksgiving in order to have the, you know, the uh, team uh, have Thanksgiving dinner at a hotel. And it's kind of a way of keeping everybody together. So I'm probably not as down on that scheduling as I would have been. Wow. If it would have been a regular school week uh, in a pandemic, then you would be going, what are they they thinking about? But that gives the Pac-12 actually probably a very attractive game if it plays out the way it looks like it could, you know, decides the South and, and all of that. Uh, that'd be a good national TV game for the Pac-12. It'd be good for USC if teams are trying to make the case that they deserve to be in the four-team playoff. Uh, the more you get a game like that, the better chance uh, you have of making your case. So I think that you could play it up, that there's kind of an upside uh, to that scheduling not the typical downside uh, that we've seen in the past with Friday night games. That's well, my 
That's yeah. my hope. I, I'm seeing the glass half full here. Yep. <laughs> and I, I think that makes sense just because, I mean, I think you some of the difficulties of having a Friday night game are just trying to get fans in the stands. Like, you know, if you're doing, hey, kick off at 6 o'clock at the Coliseum, make sure you leave, you know, lunch at work, you know, work at lunch, lunch at work, work at lunch. <laughs> to get there in time. And you don't have to do that now because it's not going to be, you know, that's not going to be as big of an issue, especially if it was on uh, a black Friday weekend as traffic wouldn't be too bad and all that stuff. So yeah, I'm not as whatever, if you got to do it for TV, but again, it's one of those things where like, are we talking about something that doesn't even matter because there's yeah. no way that's happening anyway, well, who knows? But if they, if you get to that point, I think you're gonna be pretty happy to have a season and not worry about like there was a Friday game, uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking the TVs are, are trying to get as much from the conferences as they possibly can because they know this is really going to be difficult. And so when that game comes up that weekend, uh, I'm sure the TV people are saying, you got to give us that game Friday. We need, we need some decent games on Friday. Um, but let's just hope they don't throw it at night that that would, you know, go with a, go with a game in Florida or somewhere uh, for the night game, as far as I'm concerned. And then, Dan, what about the the rest of the schedule? Starting off with the three California schools, just yeah, know, the, I think the flexibility, we, I all that think, stuff. I think we didn't know the real story. I think the original kind of take was we're going to start slowly without a great deal of travel. It'll be safer. It'll be, you know, they could bust a Stanford or Cal could bust a USC or whatever. I don't think that was true at all. I think that was the concession to the California schools to say, look, we'll give you the first couple of weeks. If it doesn't work out, you can postpone at least two of those games. I think that was the rationale as far as California playing California to start the year, not the idea that, oh, these will be short, uh, easy trips and it'll be safer and all that. That never did exactly sound right, uh, that rationale. But um, now we know that wasn't why they did that. They wanted to give the schools a chance that if they don't get to start practice uh, on time, that they'll be able to back off, uh, back off the games. And it worked much easier if it was California versus California. Uh, if it were California versus an Oregon or Arizona school or whatever, um, they might not want to back the game off. You know? So this way, you've got teams that probably are both going to agree if a game has to be backed off, they've got the same uh, same conditions going. So, yeah, so I I think they pitched it a little differently from the conference point of view than the actuality uh, of what happened. Yeah, well, it's uh, I think it's a good plan. And like Dan mentioned, it's the first one to come out. We've now heard, you know, from the SEC, they're starting. They actually released their schedule earlier today. I haven't had a chance to look at it, but they're starting the same time. That the Pac-12 is the big the Big 12. Uh, they were starting earlier. They're doing a nine plus one model since they only have ten members of the conference. You know they're adding uh, a, an out of conference game, and so there's been some talk about where they're going to do there. Uh, you know the Big Ten. There's been some issues with some of the campuses and having to stop workouts. So I mean that's the Big Ten. I think is the one you want to watch, guys, because just you know reading between the lines and hearing what's going on that. They started things by going conference only, but it wouldn't shock me if they were the first ones to bow out and say, we're, we're, we're punting on fall football and we're going to move it to the spring. Yeah. And that's the amazing thing. I, I think you're right that they might be the ones that, that, that go that route first. 
And boy, it, if they do that, it's surely hard to see that the Pac-12 could hold the fort. Uh, uh, and, and Akili, you were on the uh, presser with Larry Scott, and I think he did mention that there could be a spring piece to the, even if they start the schedule in the Pac-12, they might not be able to finish it in, in the in a fall semester. And that there might be a, a spring piece to the this next year's schedule. And you just keep thinking, gosh, if you can't play all your schedule in the fall, should you really play any of it or, or wait to the spring when maybe you could actually have fans in the stands and students on campus and all that? Uh, there are going to be some interesting decisions that are going to have to be made. And a lot of them are going to be made by flipping a coin because you just you're not going to know. Yeah. yeah. And Scott said that very briefly. He just said like spring piece and then kept going and then no one got in a follow up question about that. But you have to assume that the Pac-12 probably wants to go the way of canceling it, but doesn't want to be the first one to do so. So I have this feeling like they're just waiting for someone else to go first. Well, I think that's a really good observation. And yeah. I, I think they they probably know that the uh, Big Ten has kind of a similar culture to the Pac-12, but they seem to be having more problems with, even though the Pac-12 skates have some hot spots, it sure looks like the Big Ten testing-wise is having more issues uh, with players. Yeah, it's what. Yeah, you you don't want to be the first, and I think if you're forced into it. So if the Big Ten is going to say, "Hey, we're we're punting on the season because we have five of the 14 campuses can't do anything," it, I think that's if that's what you want to do, then you have like a legit reason. The Pac-12 might have a legit reason if the California schools can't start camp, and they're like, "Hey, you know." Uh, a third of our schools are not able to start fall camp. We can't do this. Uh, I don't see them moving to some kind of pack eight model. I think they'd rather, you know, not, you know, if the LA schools aren't involved in the football season, the California schools aren't involved. I mean, what kind of money are they going to get from television anyway? Uh, so I just, I think it would probably make more sense for the pack 12 to punt at that point, but we're going to need something definitive either coming from, uh, you know, the, unfortunate, you know, bad reports from different campuses that there's an outbreak or anything like that, or definitive answers from the different local governments here in the state to say, you know, if the governor comes out and says, you know, the Rams and the, and the Chargers and the 49ers, none of you guys can practice. We're not allowing that. You're going to have to move out of state or something. Then you pretty much say, okay, well, that shuts down California football completely. Um, but if not, if there's some openings, you're like, hey, we're going to allow this to happen. We'll make exemptions for this. If you have a football team, here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. At least it would keep things, you know, open. But if that gets shut down by, you know, one of the local governments here in California, then it's a, a built-in excuse. But like, like Healy said, way easier if the Big Ten does it first. And the Pac-12, in solidarity, we'll just wait until the, the spring also. Well, I think that the really good point about that too, Keely, is the Big Ten uh, already has done it first. Uh, with the conference-only schedule. And the word came out from all the other conferences that they were, like, all talking to one another the, almost the day that the Big Ten announced. And the Big Ten, Ten didn't tell anybody what they were going to do. And you could hear the conference commissioners from the other conferences saying, huh, I didn't hear about that. They were talking to us. And so the Big Ten has the ability to kind of just – they've got the most money, got the biggest schools – we got the best TV deal and all that. They, 
the weather is going to go against them a little bit in terms of well it depends on when you would start in the uh in the spring semester but uh but the big 10 could do it and and they would do it if they can't get their act together and then the pac-12 in a heartbeat would do it i mean they'd be boom you know not having to deal with california not having to deal with i mean what good is it for example the california schools can't play what good is it for oregon to recruit all those California players and beat the heck out of the you know other schools and not be able to come into California and play. That would be kind of a, uh, in, in a way, might help them recruit in the future where the California kids would say, well, if I go to Oregon, I could still play. But I don't know if it would help them that much this year if you didn't get any exposure in California at all. So I don't yeah. know how that, how, I don't think they could just let the California schools go. I think they they're going to, as much as they did in the scheduling part of it, I'm not sure they could do it in the overall, uh, you know, we'll go it alone or the eight. Although Larry Scott did say that fairly early that he was, they were pro- trying to prepare for maybe not everybody being able to play. I don't know how that plays out yeah. in real life. If Oregon state couldn't play, you're like, let's move on. If, if USC and UCLA and Cal and Stanford can't play, I don't think you say let's move on. Like you just like, Nope, that's, that's, it's done. Um, you know, Colorado, Colorado can't play. Okay. We will go with the rest of the 11, but not, not a third of the league and not with all the California schools like that. I mean, I think if you look at the population, I, I did the calculation. There are 39 million people in California for those four schools. If you take the other five States, for the other uh, eight schools, you're talking 28 million people. So California by itself has 11 million more people than all the other five states and the other eight schools uh, draw from. So I don't think you can li- – I mean, what would the TV people say? Uh, how much would they give you from your TV deal if you yeah. tried to play like that and realizing, I don't know if anybody in California is going to be watching. Right. Yeah, it wouldn't make much sense. Um, the other news that happened over the weekend that I completely missed because I was camping. Uh, so if you look, go over to hashtag We Are United, uh, there's a Pac-12 players movement um, that, that basically gave a list of demands that they want to see for the season. It's about you know racial equality, player safety, more economic freedom and, and equity, and then. If they don't, if the demands aren't met, the threat was that they would boycott the season and, and sit out. Um, I think it was signed by 11 players initially across nine different schools, uh, which was a little weird for me. Like if it's, if you're going to be a united movement, you don't even have all the schools represented yet. Uh, that was a little that was a little strange. It seemed a little rushed to me, but there were some really interesting and good demands on there, and there's some that just I feel like missed the mark. I believe USC added. A play, USC wasn't on the initial list uh, of players, and I think Chase Williams yeah. uh, was added to that recently. And there's been some players that have come out and said, "Hey, I'm not doing. You know, I like what you're saying, but we're gonna we're gonna play." Um, so, but you know, I think it's a good way to get a discussion going. And some of the stuff is like already happening, or you know, with, on their way to happening. Like the you know, name, image, and likeness is already being addressed by Congress. You know, things like that. The uh, being able to transfer whenever you want looked like it was going to pass this year or probably pass next year. So I think there's definitely achievable things, definitely things that make sense. And there's some that just don't, but um, you know, it's been some big news here in the PAC 12. I don't see it as a threat to the season. And if 
you know, comparative threat to whatever COVID's doing. This is, yeah. I mean, I, it's hard to even wrap your round your head around. We might not have a football season. If it was a normal year, you could like potentially look at it, but it's not a normal year and you just might not have a season because of this pandemic going on. So it's hard to, I mean, you could say the timing's great. You could say the timing's bad. I don't know. It depends on your perspective, but Keely, what were your uh, initial thoughts when you were reading about this? You know, it's hard because I'm always pro player and I think that they had some great points in what they wanted, but I also think that it seemed a little premature to me. Like you said, Ryan, not having a representative from all 12 schools Like if your hashtag is we are united, you automatically don't seem united. And there there's some things like I think I for me, if you're going to come out and make this big statement and put an ultimatum on yourself, I would feel like you need to have all your ducks in a row. And it just didn't. And this is from the outside looking in. It just didn't appear that way to me. Um, I think it would have been smarter to go down the COVID-19 racial injustice route right now given what's happening kind of in the zeitgeist and given how how understandable their concerns are and then once you gain legitimacy as an organization then press the matter on uh paying players and and making things more equal for players because i think once you read what they want as far as the big thing that got the the attention was the 50% revenue. I think when you look at what they are demanding, it just shows that, and now I don't know anything either, but it just shows a lack of understanding, in my opinion, of how complicated this matter is. And, and then to put yourself in the corner, things that the Pac-12, things that are out of the Pac-12's control and maybe even the NCAA's control, and you're demanding things must be met or else you won't play, you're putting yourself in a really narrow corner. And I feel like, then you kind of lose your leverage in that sense. So for me, I think it needed some tweaking and probably a smaller end goal and then work your way up. But then again, I've never been a part of a social change movement. So what do I know? But that was my initial thought. Yeah. What about you, Dan? Well, I needed an editor for start. Uh, I don't know how you start off by saying we demand that you voluntarily give us all this stuff. Wait a minute. You're, is it a demand or are you asking people to voluntarily give it to you? It can't be both. You can't demand someone voluntarily gives you something. Okay. Then if you, you know, you're going after the PAC 12 and obviously the PAC 12 is like the most woke place in the universe next to maybe the Ivy league or whatever. So you're picking on the league that probably would do as much of this for you as you possibly could ask them to do. I mean, they've guaranteed scholarships. They've, you know, the Pac-12. You don't have to play, uh, and uh, you know, you can you can sit the year out. And I know there was a big to do at Washington State because they said, "Well, they're not going to. We're going to sit out, but they're not going to let us practice or play or whatever." Well, they, you know, there'd be some real liability if you say, "I don't want to play. I don't think it's safe," and then they let you play and something happens. They you know, they can't let you play. I mean, it's, it's, it's things like that that they they clearly didn't uh, think through. Uh, when they say, for example, that, uh, you know, black players are disproportionately affected by whatever happens here, what they're also saying is all the good things that happen in college athletics in, in terms of scholarships and all the opportunities are also disproportionately going to black athletes because they earned it. You know, I mean, to act like 
only the bad things that happen to, you know, black athletes are, we're going to talk about, you know, if, if the pandemic hurts everybody, that's not a race. That's not, I don't think that's a racial category. That's just an athlete, uh, uh, category. And, and so I don't know that you could play into that. I mean, I think it's good to, to be active in a way that gets USC to react uh, the way they have today and putting, a, you know, together their, uh, I, I don't even know what the exact name of the, uh, of the project is for black athletes and, and representation on campus and being involved in all the, all the things that are going on. It looks like a really legitimate effort by USC. I think that's a good way to to work it out, but to say we want 50% of the revenue of the sports that produce revenue, basically you're saying, and you can close down the other 18 sports at USC because they don't produce any revenue. And now the money that goes to football and basketball players won't be able to be uh, used uh, for all the other the other eight, 19 sports, whatever, 18, 19 sports at, at USC, which probably makes it illegal because of Title IX. I mean, are you going to shut down every woman's sport? Uh, and that's a minority issue as well, it would seem. Uh, and so, again, as Keely said, you got to think this stuff through. You got to really figure out where you, uh, where this is going, what you can get, and and stop demanding that things be voluntary. Uh, I mean, it's moving in their direction really quickly, but but they they said things like. We want the Pac-12 to do this, even if it means they got to, you know, uh, uh, leave the NCAA, even if, you know, or if it goes against uh, federal law. No, you can't. You can't ask people to do that. That it just doesn't make any sense. So it wasn't wasn't nearly as well thought out as, as it needed to be. Yeah, there was I forget the player's name. There was a former. Oh, it's uh uh, Ramogi Huma, I believe, yeah, the former Ramogi. UCLA player. So he's the president of the National College Players Association, and he was involved in this. And I feel like there's some of that where he's done some things in the past where I think that like the thing that happened a couple of months ago at UCLA where they had like this kind of mini player revolt that he seemed to be behind. And then once the players kind of figured out what was going on, they're like, no, 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 that's not the way it is. Um, so it might have just been him kind of like you know, the, pushing this out there. But if you really wanted the unity, obviously you want to get at least – every you know at least one player from every program involved and it's hard like just imagine the usc football team and you come up with something like you know hey does everybody like vanilla ice cream like most people will but there's some that won't you know and you're like it's hard to get everyone to be on board uh for something like that especially if they're not going to be involved in the process because i would i was reading that you know at least one or two of the players that signed it initially if there's only a handful of players that did uh, weren't didn't realize about like the fifty percent revenue share thing. So I think there a lot of stuff that was put in there. If they really wanted to get like you know two or three or four of the top players from every university come together, come up with their all demands together, and then put it out, I think that would have been more effective. And then each of the representatives could go back to their school and say, "Here's what we negotiated for. Here's what we feel is in this demand letter." And then do you guys feel that that works or whatever? I, I think that would have been a better thing, but. A little rush through. It's fine. There's a lot of good points there. A lot of things that are going to happen. Um, and, you know, we'll see uh, how this how this plays out. But I, I don't think, I mean, real quick, either of you guys think this is a real threat outside? I mean, assuming the COVID thing doesn't crash the no. season. No, I don't they, think this is like a, a serious threat to stop the whole have, season. They have zero leverage. Zero. 
I mean, there are, you know, there are a lot of guys lined up. I mean, I don't know that any of them would go to the wall. Maybe a handful would go to the wall, give up their, you know, give up their chance to play, give up their scholarship. But uh, boy, I just, I just don't see that that happening. And I, I think the problem with signing on to something like this is you don't know where it's going. So you might sign it, and by the time it gets to be public, they're saying a whole lot of different things than maybe you thought they were going to say. The other thing about it that makes it not so serious is it came out on Friday. It became public. It got to the media. It didn't get to the Pac-12 until Sunday. You know, they got it to the media two days before they got it officially to the Pac-12. That just doesn't make it look good. If you're out there telling everybody what you're doing and the Pac-12 can say, hey, they haven't even bothered to send us a copy of their so-called, you know, demands. That's just, I just, that's not very smart. Although they did one thing, the, the request of, because Larry Scott, and I don't know, we, we didn't talk about that. Larry Scott responded very politely, very nicely and all that to most of what they said. But there was one point that Larry Scott did not respond to which was the demand that Larry Scott and other extravagant salaries be cut way back. And Larry Scott, Larry didn't go there. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> that was the one thing that made the most sense that should happen right away. Like <laughs> yeah. to cut Larry Scott's salary. Like, yeah, I'm on board with that for whatever reason, whatever reason you want to come up with. Like, <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'd have put that first because that, who would disagree, you know? <laughs> and then all the USC people would say, yeah, well, I got somebody else to put on that, on that list, uh, you know, number two. And, uh, but they probably didn't figure that out, that that would be the one that would, everybody would jump on. Yeah. And I think if you're, there's going to be, and I, I think shotgun did a story on this showing what the USC players reacted to on social media. And then John Wilner, uh, great. Yeah. You know, does a great job covering the PAC 12, uh, for the, the Bay area news group bang. We like to call it. Um, you know, there's going to be different categories. Like, are there going to be people that completely support this movement on social media? I think we saw a lot of USC players do that, but are there good, you know, it's, it's okay to do that. I mean, I, I mean, that's, that's something that's fairly easy to do, but who's going to really sign up to sit out the season. We just haven't seen a whole lot of that. And I think that's where the issue is going to be. And there are some players, I think, uh, Chris Steele was out there saying, Hey man, I'm going to play football. And, uh, I believe, you know, Keaton Slovis like liked the tweet or whatever Instagram post, whatever it was. So there's going to be like, yeah, we want this stuff, but I'm not sitting out the season to do it. And, and the good thing is there, there's reasonable things in there that you shouldn't have to sit out for a season to, to make some of these things happen. So and I think they will, I think things will get better, but, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's a real threat to the season. Yeah. And I think the other thing I, I thought that they took some shots at, uh, at the dangers and the, the lack of transparency and, and, and lack of uh, procedures and all of that. I don't think that's the case in the PAC 12. I think the PAC 12 is, you know, doing absolutely as much as humanly possible in terms of, of testing and, and being safe and, and not asking people to do anything that, that they don't want. You know, there are no football factories in the PAC 12. And so to, to kind of, Maybe there are places you could throw, uh, you know, throw that on, but not in the Pac-12, I don't think. And, and I think they, they, they really needed to tone that down because I, I, I don't think, you know, we maybe don't get all the results from all the campuses and all that. But I don't think that means that everybody's not trying to do absolutely 
you know, the best they can. It's not like a case in the, the Big Ten's got an interesting case. One player in Northwestern tested positively, positive, and they shut the whole uh, program down for, I don't know, a week, two weeks, something like that. Whereas Illinois had like 28 positive tests and they just kept right on going. So those can be problems. I don't think that's the case in the, uh, in the Pac-12. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Keely, before we move on? Yeah, I mean, I think coming into this podcast, I thought that it was pretty much a thing where on the whole, Pac-12 players would be supportive, but not necessarily put their uh, their personal careers on the line. I did receive a text right when we started recording that there are some rumbling, so this might not be the last we hear, at least from USC players, so I'm trying to get more on that. But it sounds like there there will be more to come. And I think the broader point is that I think you're seeing a switch with Gen Z football players in the pandemic realizing the power and leverage that they have or can have. And so whether or not this uh, comes to fruition or, or is works out how they want it to, I think we're in a new era where players are now realizing the power that they have. And this is not going to be a fad where coaches can kind of shoo-shoo it away. Like as you, as you saw with Wazoo, uh, I think coaches might need to be trained on how to s- handle these things and how to handle recruits who are uh, more socially uh, aware and, and, and want to be socially active. So I think this is a new trend that we're going to have to see how college football adapts to uh, players wanting to be more socially conscious. I think the other flip side of that is the players are going to have to figure out how not to go too far. You know, when you start saying, I'm going to boycott practice, I'm going to boycott to get blah, blah, blah. Unfortunately, the coaches might say, oh, okay, you know, uh, the uh, equipment managers will have all your stuff for you. Um, You can pick it up this afternoon Uh, because if you don't want to practice and you don't want to be part of it, you got to be part of the team and you got to be you got to do it in the context of, uh, of, you know, the, the the team. And you can't you probably don't have the kind of. negotiating leverage that Tom Brady has. Okay. Sure. Sure. Just don't. And you got to understand that. And there are places you probably can't go, which is telling the coach, I don't think I'm going to show up to practice. Oh, well, what's the, uh, what's the next thing that's going to happen after that? Yeah, no. And that's why it's unfortunate that this movement made kind of pie in the sky demands with the, 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 threat of sitting out because now you're in a tough position and if they don't follow through I think that kind of uh, delegitimizes players wanting to do a movement they could always point back to well they threatened in 2020 to sit out and they didn't so what are you going to do you know so it depends but I do think that there is a new trend where players are going to try and be more vocal about uh, things that they care about they can't let people put them in places like demanding uh, or sitting out because I mean, a lot of their demands, the Pac-12 couldn't give them to them even if they wanted to give it to them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not even remotely possible. So they, they've, you know, that's where I think the coaches and uh, administrators have to really talk to the players and let them know, you know, we're on your side. We can give you this. We can give you that. But we got to work together on this. We can't be, you know, great, going at one another uh, because – you have to know there are limits. There are limits to the budget. There are limits to so many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't give you the money that we were going to give the women's tennis team. 
I'm sorry. We can't. It's yeah. not legal. We just can't. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think I gave this analogy, I think, on the radio this morning. I was doing a show. And uh, I don't want to, you know, you don't want to say this is analogous to uh, taking hostages. But if you're, you know, you rob the bank, the hostage situation, you're surrounded by cops, and you ask for something that the police can give you. That's at least, you know, like, I'll, I'm going to let these hostages go, but I need blah, 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 whatever. I need pizzas delivered. Like, there's stuff they can do. And if you're like, well, I need the government of South Korea to uh, acknowledge blah, blah, blah. Like, well, the cops can't do that, you know. And so if, if we're at a standstill and you're asking the people that you're dealing with locally for something that's way out of their control and you need this to happen within for like what this situation is before the season starts in a few weeks. Yeah, that's it doesn't seem like those it's even if if you wanted to do everything on the list that the, the Pac-12 just wouldn't even have the power, even though some of it's going to be the individual schools and some of it's the conference. But there's things that are just you'd have to change the entire landscape of college football. It's something that's out of Larry Scott's hands. Yeah. And you got to realize that's a good suggestion that when you use the term hostage situation, what you got to realize is you might be in a situation, but you're the hostage. Unfortunately yeah. for you, you know, you got to understand who's the hostage and who's not. And that's uh, that probably that's something you learn uh, from doing something like that. Yeah. But I mean, like Keely said, uh, there is definitely a sense of uh, empower. You know, people are empowered. The players are empowered um, and they can they can do things. I mean, they, you're going to realize how important college football is to universities during this pandemic. and if players are able to band together and make some demands, I think there's reasonable things that can happen where we just haven't seen, like, like Keely said, we're pro pro player stuff. Most of the time. I mean, that's what, you know, what do you want to see? You want to see them be able to transfer. You want to see them not, you know, be exploited and, and all these things. Um, but you know, banding together and being able to come up with some reasonable things, I think you can make, they can make as a collective college football, a better sport. And I don't think that was the case, you know, five years ago. Now there's just more power for the player. So, uh, good for them. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, so back in June, if you guys remember, USC, uh, Mike Bone, uh, the leadership there, committed to create a Black Lives Matter action team. And it was supposed to combat racial inequality. Uh, so on Tuesday, what we did is we found out um, that uh, USC did find a chair for their uh, the Blacks, Black Lives Matter action team. It's Julie uh, Rousseau. I believe that's how it's pronounced. She's a former uh, head coach for the Los Angeles uh, Sparks. Uh, she's also coaching up at Stanford, Pac-12. Uh, they have a advisory committee that has seven student athletes, uh, eight coaches on it, and 10 staff members. Uh, Mike Bone, they sent out a big um, press release on uh, earlier today, actually, and uh, detailing all the information. So, you know, another, you know, there's good move, smart move, I think. And uh, Keely, I guess we'll start with you. Any thoughts on it? Yeah, no, I mean, it was interesting to see how USC stepped up with action uh, based on their players uh, wanting to see action happen. And then it kind of went away. And so I was curious what we would see or if we would hear anything next. And to, so to see that they went out and hired someone to chair uh, their action team and to, to keep the conversation going in August, I thought it was a good move. And it'll be interesting to see where this goes from here. Yeah. Dan, any thoughts? Yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, universities love uh, putting together big uh, task forces. Uh, no question about it. A lot of people on there. Because they're super effective, right? They're always super effective. <laughs> I mean, in the era of social distancing, 
I'm thinking these guys never get together in the same room because I'm not sure you'd have a room big enough. Uh, but uh, but zoom them, zoom away. Uh, no, I think the, the key part of it is it sounds like it's legitimate that they really do want to get something done, uh, and that's a that's a great thing uh, that it's not just more bureaucratic, uh, you know, delay and installing and all that. I think they they legitimately you know have a you know a rationale and all of that, and it's you know it's not easy to do this because of all the you know, the ramifications of Black Lives Matter on so many different levels. And, uh, you know, I think USC is going to have some really interesting decisions about uh, jerseys if if that, you know, comes to pass this year, um, you know, for a tradition of never putting anybody's name in the history of USC and still the only school that does that. Do they put a slogan on there or slogans or whatever? You know, like the NBA does, or I, I, and and if you don't, do you put yourself in a position for other people to come at you and say, "Well, you know, the reason they're not doing that is they're blatantly da 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 da." I think it's going to make for some. I'm not crazy that the NCA said go ahead and do that. Uh, you know, put messages. I'm not sure people go to watch sports or they go to support their you know college team to see messages that maybe half the people in the stands say, you know, I wouldn't do that. Or I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with all that that uh, entails and all of that. I mean, I always thought Michael Jordan had the best answer and it was just strictly a commercial one, but he, uh, you know, people wanted him to support this program or that program, this p- political person or that one. And he said, you know, uh, Republicans buy shoes too. And uh, I'm I'm a little hesitant as to how this might play out, but the fact that USC is actually doing something and and trying to make things that make it better, uh, you know, in terms of of how uh, you know black athletes can uh, uh, you know function, you know, in the sport and on campus and all the ways and off campus, uh, I think that's a good thing. How that plays out in all the details. Uh, I don't know. And maybe, you know, people will say, hey, I like the USC model better than maybe sloganeering on uh, on uniforms. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, all right. We'll uh, why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back. Uh, I know we got a couple of voicemails and we got some emails to get to. So back in a minute. <laughs> Yes, Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. 
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement for his man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. I start, guys. So I started this. Um, I got an idea for the uh, uh, the podcast of champions. We do. If you, if you want to check that out, it's the uh, the Pac-12 podcast, and uh, we do you know a section where we answer questions and everything for everyone. And what I love the Simpsons, and this was uh, a little drop that I grabbed. So we would play this before uh, questions. So I thought I'd do it here just for fun. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always death. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was good. We'll, we'll play it here. But if you want to listen to the podcast of champions, I'll put it on there. Maybe I'll come up with something different. Yeah, because usually oh. people have like, you got mail or whatever, like the, you know, Rainer Troy, doing, right, which so. is great. But um, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't beat the Simpsons. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. It's come true. On. They're, pretty, well they're pretty smart. Um, okay. Uh, nobody understood the way it works in schools better than the simpsons they got it they always did they always will it's the best bunch of like harvard guys the like great writers and stuff man they were uh yeah that was pretty funny yeah so if the, the the part of the show is like it's crusty addressing like the studio audience it was some award show or something and he's trying to read the credit card i mean cr- trying to read the cue card it's like this is my favorite part of the show and he's like looking at the card like squinting what's that say talk to the audience oh this is always death like this is right so it was good. And then poor Ralph Wiggum gets crushed uh, by <laughs> by Lisa in this in that episode. Go go look it up. That's a really good one. Uh, all right. Well, Keely, maybe you want to start with uh, an email. We got uh, one voicemail about playing outside, and uh, one about coaches' salaries from our friend Joan. I can put those whenever you want. But what do you what do you got first? Oh, we have a quick question from John from Oakland who says, uh, "Why did the Pac-12 decide to go with a ten game conference schedule instead of an eleven game schedule?" I think strictly uh, to have enough flexibility. I just think they wanted to have uh, those couple of weeks, both at the beginning and at the end, that they could play around with, uh, knowing that, again, you know, just looking at California as an example, or maybe Arizona as a hotspot, that they may have to really uh, be able to adjust on the fly. And that 11 games, as it turns out, nobody else is going past is anybody going past 10? I think everybody's 10. SEC's 10. Yeah, I think. And the oh. Big Ten was supposed to announce this morning, and they hadn't. Uh, Rutgers had a little bit of an outbreak going on, so they might that might be why that's delayed. But um, so far, we've only seen 10. Yeah, and so I think everybody has made the same deal in their minds. we got to have a couple of weeks at the beginning and a couple of weeks at the end, and you go past 10, you're probably asking for trouble. And just in general, the Pac-12 is very Noah Arky. You know, you got to pair up, and you know, all the schools are paired up. Uh, if the way it was happening before is you would have it, it was an, an equal number of home and away games. If you had an 11th game, now some teams are going to play six home games, and some will play five. So I yeah, think that's that, a that, really that, good point. Yeah. Part of that's to, you, it's just not going to be equitable. I think if they were going to do 11, which is hard, you know, all the reasons Dad said are true. It's just hard to fit all these in you'd probably have to go 12 and kind of do what the big uh, 12 is doing and do a nine plus one. You could do 
an 11 plus one. So you're basically back to a 12 game schedule. Um, but yeah, it, it just, I, I think it's just a little too many. 10 is, you know, it, it's a good target. It's a good, you know, you're, you're going to give it a good shot, uh, to make a run at it here. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get there or not, but you know, I think 10 games would be a lot easier. Just more equitable than 11. And the fact that nobody has gone past 10 tells you that's yeah. got to be the number. I mean, you know, if, if somebody, the SEC would have, if they could have. Yeah, they could have dropped uh, down from eight to six conference games. If, you know, they would have been like, <laughs> that would have been better for the SEC. But <laughs> Ryan, is that a- they're actually challenging them more. I mean, oh, now, yeah. those guys that played eight, now they got to play 10, and the other two are both SEC games. So uh, the SEC actually made it more difficult on itself by cutting the games back, but adding two SEC teams. So, yeah, you can only play Vanderbilt so many times. So that's what, <laughs> you know, when you have like, you know, Alabama and Georgia not really playing each other, you know, hardly ever, except in the championship game, you know, USC was going to have to play Oregon. Like you'd have the two favorites. A lot of times in the SEC, you don't have the two favorites playing each other the regular season. Uh, it's, I think it's a much bigger adjustment for the SEC to go from eight to 10 in the Pac-12 from 9 to 10. But I also think it's going to, whoever comes out of the SEC, give them the, you know, they're in. Because, like, it's I don't care if they got two losses. Like, that's, it's going to be a lot tougher that they actually have to play most of the teams in the conference now instead of just playing the people in your side and then playing a bunch of patsies. So I think it's going to be a more legitimate record. And maybe this will get us closer to everyone playing the same number of conference games down the road. That would be interesting. Ryan, I just want to circle back. Is Noah Arkey a new adjective in your vernacular? Just made it up. I don't know. Like, you know, like Noah's Ark. Like, there's, you yeah. know, everybody's Noah's paired Arky. up. I like it. Yeah. Very That's nice. great. Just try to make stuff up. Just, you <laughs> nice. know, whatever. Very nice. We have an email from Tito uh, Hermosillo who says, after listening to the Harvey Hyde podcast, I like the idea of having a commissioner like what the NFL has with Roger Goodell for college football and college sports in general. Just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Thanks. Uh, I I think one of the problems is nobody w- would exactly trust anybody to not be, uh, you know, somebody who would be leaning one direction or another. I, honestly, a guy I would trust, uh, but because he's so identified in, in some ways out here for a while anyway, would be a Dave Baker who's now, you know, runs the uh, NFL, uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame and was a commissioner who did great things with the Arena Football League, uh, had been mayor of Irvine and had a son who was obviously Sam, three-time uh, all Amer- first-team All-American at USC. But if you could find somebody like that that sort of had a national, uh, had an ability to have already done a lot of those kinds of things and had kind of a national um, uh, impact, uh, but I just don't know that that, that there are many of those persons that exist, that the, 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 the competition between the leagues is so strong. Yeah. Um, it, it would boy be hard to find somebody. I mean, like I think Dave Baker would have been a perfect candidate to be uh, commissioner of the PAC 12. But do you think any of those other teams would accept a guy who was a, his son played for USC? No, of course they wouldn't. Uh, even though he would have been unbelievably better than, uh, you know, the current occupant of that chair. But then all three of us on this podcast would likewise have been way better for the Pac-12 than the current occupant of that 
of that job. <laughs> or a lot cheaper, yeah. I think Oliver mm-hmm. Luck is a name that comes up a lot. Like you talk about the czar of college football. But the problem is the power struggle that's going on, the way it's currently structured. Would it be better for college football to have a Roger Goodell, to have a czar? I think it would. But similar to, I'll make something else up here, say like the USCfootball.com team is uh, we're all crime bosses here in Southern oh. California. So uh, Keely's uh, where she's roaming like the Hollywood. She, she runs the Hollywood, all the, wow. all the trafficking, everything is going out of there. Uh, shotguns up. He's got the Valley uh, on lockdown. We got GM uh, inland empire guy, you know, just, he, he knows what's going on there. Uh, Dan Weber, the OC all over him. Uh, we got, this like South South Bay will go Trevino, like the Long Beach area. He's the LBC dude, and I'll I'll uh, I'll manage all the South Bay uh, criminal activity. So that we'll just do six of us instead of five. But we're all running things, and we interact a little bit. But for the most part, we run our own shows. You know, nothing gets in and out of Orange County without you know Dan Weber knowing about it, right? Like he he's got it on lockdown. But would it be better for all of our businesses if we had somebody overseeing all of us? Yes, you could argue that we, you know, getting, uh, getting the drugs, <laughs> we're talking about dealing drugs and whatever, right. all the contraband, <laughs> all the contraband coming into the area, we could consolidate through, you know, a single channel and, and have an overseer for all that distributed to all of us, whatever the things are, whatever we're doing, uh, the illegal activities, that would be great. Right. Like, but are each one of us going to give up some power and let someone be over us when right now we run the show, even though we don't run the show, the whole, the whole area, we run the show in our area. So is Larry Scott going to go and say, okay, Oliver Luck, you can tell us what to do now. And ever, like, I just don't see the individual crime bosses from each one of the conferences being able to say, yeah, we're going to give up that power. Uh, but I think it would make sense for college football. I just don't know how you implement that without forcing the action. And maybe, it's one of those COVID things. Maybe one of the you know pandemic it opens up an opportunity. Even though there's horrible things happening, sometimes it opens up opportunities. Maybe this will open up an opportunity that we can get that czar of college football. But from the the insiders I've talked to, they said like it's going to be too much power for these uh, you know all the power brokers in the conferences to give up at this point. Yeah. I think they'd rather settle it the way uh, Al Capone did on uh, Valentine's Day in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> With Tommy guns. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Keely, did I go too far there? Yeah. Keely, like, like I, just, I can't wait for you to be misquoted somewhere. And now we're all implicated in an organized crime scene. So that's, that's great. <laughs> you're running, you're running Hollywood stuff. That's cool. I mean, you got all the celebrities under your jurisdiction, oh, you know? Gosh. <laughs> sure. Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go see. to a voicemail at some point? Yeah. We can, let's go to a voicemail. Uh, our buddy Curtis. Hi, everybody. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Just uh, thinking about the, the coronavirus situation, we need to do as much as we can as a team outside. Even the meetings that you would normally have inside, do it outside with some kind of shade. But outside the environment, that, that atmosphere moves that virus if it's anywhere. And what about uh, when, like at when you're at the amusement parks in the heat, they have some kind of mist, a water mist, not enough to make you wet, but to make you feel comfortable. I bet that'll knock any kind of virus to the floor. Curtis from Moreno Valley. 
Well, those those uh, misters are really well used in Arizona when it's 118 <laughs> degrees, but I don't think they kill viruses. I think it's just water. Um, Although I, I think I it did makes you cooler, see, though. I think I did see that there is some uh, uh, experimental kind of a deal that uh, was it the Denver Broncos were going through that that some kind of uh, mist that that kills the virus or has properties that kill virus and yet doesn't do anything else or that they're experimenting with. I, I mean, I saw the, saw the little video and the tweet. So I don't know if that's po- my guess is though, Curtis, if you still have to have your meetings outside because of the dangers of uh, COVID-19, you really shouldn't be playing football, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is what uh, you, you try to, and I can't find anybody that says yes to this question. Can you play football if you're still social distancing? I don't think you can. I don't think there's any way. So if we're not past the era of social distancing, of the fact that, you know, the whole team can't get together in a classroom, you can't play football. Okay. You just can't. So it's nice to come up with, you know, some of these thoughts about how we could maybe prepare to get to that place when we're doing um, uh, the voluntary workouts and doing all the conditioning stuff and all that. But when you're getting ready to start to play football, you have to be able to play football. If yeah. you can't, you can't play football. It's, it's It seems really simple to me. And I think one of the encouraging things we saw was when the Marlins had the big outbreak, uh, half the team got it. They were playing the Phillies pretty much all weekend and everyone had it. And, you know, there were a couple of Philly staff members that were around the Marlins that, that ended up getting it. I think there were some false positives, but there at least one or two that got it, but none of the Phillies players got it. And they're, you know, they're interacting on the field. Now I know the interaction for baseball is going to be less than football, but from stuff I've read, you know, what they understand about the viral loads, maybe playing a game against another team even in a game like football might not be as big of a deal. It's great that none of the, it's a data point that none of the Phillies got sick, even though most of the Marlins players or half the Marlins players had it. But the problem is you have to be around your own team. You have to be in the clubhouse or in the locker room, whatever. And just being around those people all the time, it makes it more likely if someone gets it, other people are going to get it. Um, So uh, to me, the season crashes and burns during fall camp and not during games. I just don't think, you know, if a couple players have it on USC and they're playing UCLA, by the end of the game, I'm guessing UCLA players wouldn't have it. But the problem is the USC players, they go back there in their meetings together, they would probably continue to get it and spread it around the team. Uh, that's just kind of my, I mean, we don't all know, I guess that's my kind of working theory. Uh, but he, uh, Curtis also called back and and wanted to know about the New Orleans Saints doing a bubble. And they're, it's a, from what I understand, there's like a, it's not a pure bubble. They're just trying to keep the team in one area. There's players on the team that have already said they're going to go home when they have to. So that you're just breaking quarantine and stuff there. The NBA is like a bubble, but I think a, a pure bubble is going to work. Like just in theory that works. I don't, you can't do that. I don't think the NFL can do it. They can do a modified version of it. The closest thing you're going to see in college is what Dan mentioned earlier, students not on campus. So you make it just less people around and, it's, if it's mostly the football players, then you're sort of in your own bubble, but it's obviously not a true bubble. Larry's, sorry, Larry Scott went as far as to say that having a bubble in college sports would be inappropriate. So he kind of blew that out of the water. Yeah. And I know people throw that out there like, well, why don't you have a plan just like uh, the NBA? Well, uh, the plan is costing the NBA like half a million dollars a day. 
and, and they're, they've got multimillionaire players who have an awful lot to gain by at least keeping uh, you know quarantine, for example. And where what other sport has a, a few enough players that you could actually put them all in the same hotel in the same complex? Uh, you know, get their meals to them individually, keep them in the same. It's it's just not possible, not even remotely possible. And I know the Marlins people are saying, look, we really weren't out carousing. We weren't, you know, we were in Atlanta. Yeah, and that always has a bad connotation for, how, you know, the teams that, uh, the places they go. But they said, no, we didn't do any of that. We just, you know, went out here or there uh, on occasion. Or that the St. Louis Cardinals the tested positive said, well, we might have gone out and played golf on a couple of days. Uh, you know, if you just do the regular stuff and, you know, it catches you, uh, the key is going to be the amount of testing. How often, how quickly do they get it back? Uh, at USC, for example, you can get it back quickly now. But what happens when you expand the universe of people that are coming to USC's campus every day? I mean, I, I hadn't realized this number, but, uh, and I know people have said you can open college campuses if you test the kids every two days, but somebody came up with a number for USC. If you bring back all the students, all the faculty and all the staff, you're talking about 80,000 people. How do you test 80,000 people in any way that, that works? So we're going to have to somehow get past it or keep it, uh, you know, relatively uh, controlled environment, which, again, that seems to be the situation at USC. But how would you expand that uh, before, you know, the pandemic has passed? I, I don't know how you do that. Yeah. Something we forgot to mention was that USC actually moved to 20 allowable hours on Monday. Oh, so yes. They are doing things like team meetings. I don't actually know the logistics of it. So who knows if they're doing it inside, but not weightlifting inside. I don't know. There seems a lot of mental gymnastics to figure all this out. But I did. Uh, I threw this on the P that no one, no uh, player has informed the athletic department that they want to opt out for the 2020 season. So right now, USC has all their, uh, their roster intact as of now. So yeah. little tidbits to come out of Monday. Yeah, good news there. Nice reporting, Keely. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, moving on to another email, uh, Andy Wolf from Newport Beach says, uh, never miss an episode or a home game. Thank you, Andy. He says, Ryan, Keeley, and Dan, one important point you failed to mention on the extension in early, uh, in early 2018 by Lynn Swan of Clay Hilton's contract through 2023. Everyone in the football program assumed that Dan, Sam Darnold w- would return for the 2018 season for his redshirt junior season. If Darnold does not declare for the NFL, USC would have been 11-1 and in the regular season with the only potential loss at Texas. With Darnold, USC wins the games against Stanford, Utah, at UCLA, all three of those were at the away team, and at home against ASU, Cal, and Notre Dame. USC defeats Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. Revenge game against Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, 12-2 or 13-1 in 2018 with Darnold. Do you agree that this would happen? Thanks, Andy in Newport Beach. I, Andy, I think things were unraveling on the offense. I mean, uh, if you look, and I know some of it was Sam was hurt and he didn't, he wasn't telling anybody. But uh, if you look at where that team was going offensively, um, they, they really, the way they practiced, they couldn't block anybody. 
you know, the the offense didn't make any sense, couldn't run the ball. Uh, they figured out eventually the year before they hadn't figured out how to play Sam Penn State, did everything they thought they could, and, and, and they didn't have any luck. Uh, but the next year, uh, teams were having a lot of luck uh, playing against Sam. So uh, I think theoretically, if Sam were completely healthy and, and you did some things uh, and you actually practiced at, you know, game speed and game tempo with game physicality and all that, would that have happened? Probably not. Um, so as much as having a, a healthier Sam uh, would have mattered, I'm not sure it would have mattered enough. Sam was pretty, pretty discouraged at the way uh, the offense kind of uh, finished up. Uh, and I don't, I don't, you know, who knows? I mean, those teams weren't that good. And would that have been enough? That's a good, it's a good theoretical or hypothetical. I just don't know, actually. Yeah. So, so he's talking about fixing the five and seven season or is he like, that's what he's talking yeah. about. right? Like, yeah. 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 I mean, I think when you look back on things, the biggest problem wasn't the quarterback. I mean, there was really an issue of there were deficiencies on this coaching staff that we had pointed out that everyone knew. And those were not addressed. So Sam Darnold staying or leaving is out of Clay Helton's control. What's in his control is to realize, hey, these guys aren't recruiting. Hey, these guys aren't coaching their dudes up. They're not developing. The offense doesn't make any sense. It's a gumbo. And address those concerns. The only reason those concerns were addressed because they went 5-7. and seven. I don't think they go 11-1 and one or whatever if if Sam Darnold comes back. I think that's a, that's a pipe dream. Like, you're not getting going from five wins to 11 because of because of just Sam Darnold. You needed to make the rest of the team better around Sam Darnold. He made so much happen on his own. You could argue that a lot of those wins, you know, the, pre- the previous year came on his shoulders, but then you played teams like Notre Dame and, and Ohio State. It just wasn't, you weren't able to overcome those kind of things. Not, like Dan said, not being able to run the ball. Um, so there's there were major deficiencies that needed to be addressed on the coaching staff side that one player, even though he's a special player, was not going to be able to fix. That's just my opinion. Yep. And I mean, the whole reason why you saw the failure of Clay Helton, that extension was because of the leadership at the top. And that's why they were doing that poorly. It wasn't, yeah. like you said, it, it wasn't a Sam Darnold thing. Poor Ryan, leadership. We, yes. Do we have any more voicemails? Yeah. So there's another voicemail and it's funny. It's a it's kind of on topic. And Joan uh, brought this up briefly on, uh, on the Harvey Hyde podcast, but we wanted to get your thoughts on it too. I kind of gave my thoughts a little bit more on that one, but this is Joan's effort to, uh, to do a shorter voicemail. So she said she's tired. So it's pretty, I'll let you play it and hear it. So it still goes about a, a minute 15. So she tried, but it's way better than the other efforts, but I'll play it for you. Hey, Ryan, it's Joan Levis from Dana point. And I am timing myself on this message for one minute. So I'm going to be fast. Anyway, um, I would love you guys, uh, you and Keely and Dan, to discuss uh, coaches' salaries and and restructuring um, their uh, pay because, you know, there's no incentive uh, for a coach like Clay Helton to win games when he's getting a huge, huge payout every year and it's got an increase. 
and uh, it has a huge buyout. So it's like he can't ever be fired. Anyway, and also the um, the buyout that they just gave the uh, the strength and conditioning coach at um, Iowa. I was thinking, you know, it's all backwards. That guy evidently um, had some issues with the team. Anyway, I'm running out of time, and I think that that's impossible to pay somebody like that a million bucks um, just to to leave. So anyway, uh, please discuss. Maybe things will change after the pandemic. Um, thanks a lot. Bye. Uh, I think uh, it's a good point. I think uh, the big time programs probably have way too much money uh, uh, that they can play around with. And so there doesn't seem to be a big consequence. Also, you have the sharpest contract negotiators in the world uh, representing the coaches. And you had the dullest, dumbest contract negotiators in the world in so many places representing the schools. I mean, you know, you might have uh, a guy who's negotiated for 50 head coaches and gotten everything you could possibly get going against a guy who maybe has never in his life negotiated a big time head coaching contract. It's such a mismatch uh, that you know, if 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 you're you know running an athletic department, you have to be smart enough to say, "Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I better get somebody in here who's really sharp. Find somebody uh, from the USC family who's negotiated. You know, maybe it's uh, TV and entertainment contracts and all that. Somewhere, somebody that's negotiated these really big time contracts and said, "No, no, no, no. Oh, we don't need to do that. Nobody's trying to." Hire him away. We don't need that at all. Well, what if the basketball coach is getting a longer contract than the football coach at USC? Who cares? Who, you know, maybe that'll be an incentive for the football coach. But to have, you know, USC's athletic directors, a couple of them in a row or three of them in a row, who've never done that before, to be asking them to make the right calls and they can do it without anybody knowing for years what the heck they did because USC doesn't uh, have to you know, publish those kinds of details in that. I mean, that's a, that's a just built in failure. I mean, you're building failure into the system and uh, you, you just can't do that. And it's such a mismatch. Yeah, it was a complete mismatch. And that's all I, I said this on the Harvey Hyde thing. I'll say it real quick. And Keely, if you have any thoughts, that's all on USC side. Like you don't need to pay someone $5 billion a year and give them five years guaranteed or whatever uh, when no one's trying to hire that person away and no, you know, they the performance hasn't been warranted. You don't feel like oh, two years from now, someone's going to hire Clay Helton away. We better lock him in, you know, this long deal. No, that's on USC side. You don't begrudge Clay Helton because he got this crazy great contract and and job security and all that. Any one of us, whatever job we have, if there's our employer is willing to give us like great job security, Awesome. Like that's good. You know, maybe it's above what we should be really getting, but if it's a competitive environment, maybe you get it. USC did that in a non-competitive environment. There was no reason that that needed to happen. There could have been more of an, you could give him an extension. That's more of an incentive base that you could get out of easier. Yes, Joe, like he's unfireable. He wasn't, he has been for a couple of years because of that extension, but that's not his fault. And that's not college football's fault. They didn't have to do that. 
No one forced USC to do that. USC did that on their own. But now they've backed themselves into a corner. And, you know, that as the years go by, it'll be easier if they want to make a change. But the way Lin Swan locked them up and aboard, uh, approved by the board and all that stuff, you can blame all of those people. Um, they just made a bad mistake. And it's, yeah, you have, you have, it's like you have the, the cheese negotiation, <laughs> negotiating with a rat, you know, um, and the, you got the agents that know what they're doing and you don't. So it's, yeah, they, USC got grifted on this one. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, mean, I'll go ahead. Kim. No, go for it. Go for it, Dan. Uh, I, I mean, one of the things that made it so hard for us to figure this out other than the secrecy, the lack of transparency, is you couldn't even imagine anyone would do something that stupid. I mean, those there are those of us who didn't think much of the ability of Lynn Swan and Pat Hayden to actually be ADs, but none of us thought they could do that. I mean, it was like, no, no one would do that. It's not possible to do that. And then you find out, oh, yeah, they did that. It's like, I mean, it would have been accusing them. You would have felt bad to accuse them of having done that, thinking, again, no one could be that stupid. Well, we were wrong. They were. USC was. Yep. You guys summed it up pretty much. So I'm just going to go on to the next question. It's from our buddy Dan, class of 1962, who says, Hi, Keely, Dan, and Ryan. The virus could actually be a blessing in disguise if colleges could increase scholarship opportunities for all sports and increase the college playoff participants to eight teams, which would allow all five Power Five uh, conferences to be involved and make college football to be truly national in scope and not regional as it is now. College football interests will decline uh, if the same four teams are in the playoffs every year. The NCAA basketball tournament is national because it expanded the playoff teams instead of reducing the number of teams. When UCLA won their seventh straight national championship, there were only 16 and then 32 teams in the playoffs. Since the 1970s, there have been 64, then 68. It's practically impossible for a dynasty, which allows a national sport to have national interest. College football needs to expand or decline in interest nationally. Fight on and win, Dan, class of 1962. Yeah, uh, those those are great points. And I know people have made the case that if college basketball gets cut back, they need to uh, uh, double the number of teams that are going to get into the tournament. And I, I think this would have been the perfect time to uh, for the college football playoffs to say, because we uh, we have five power five conferences and at least one representative, uh, you know, from the next group uh, four spots isn't enough if teams aren't going to play one another from other conferences. If they're just going to stay in the conference, now we're, we're just guessing. Or, you know, a worse uh, outcome would be the unintended consequence of teams just trying to beat the heck out of people and run the scoreboard up because, because uh, uh, they need to get into the playoff. So, uh, so yeah, I think the uh, eight-team playoff is the way it's going to go in the future worth a lot more money, uh, gets the whole country represented and gets him involved in the playoffs. And you can, you know, play the games all over the country. And uh, this would have been a good year to try that. Now, whether you would have gotten to it, whether the season's going to play out like that, we don't know. But I think uh, I would have liked to have seen the college football playoff people kind of step up and say, why don't we give this a shot, an 18 playoff this year? I think this would have been, as Dan said, a chance to make something good uh, come out of 
something that's not so good. Yeah, I don't think it's too late for that to happen. I mean, this is, has to be, you have to be able to adjust on the fly during critical times when things are, you know, just everything's out of whack. And that could be a great adjustment. I don't think that the ship has sailed on that. Um, so I think there's some potential there. The TV contracts are all screwed up right now anyway. All these games aren't happening. If you go to the, you know, the TV networks and it's like, hey, you know, we're going to give you four extra playoff games or whatever, or four extra playoff teams to get involved in these games. Like, yeah, I think that makes, you know, it makes a lot of sense. So uh, I, I, hopefully that can happen, something like that, because it's going to be difficult. And people, ask, I think someone asked on the Harvey Hyde show, and I got asked on the radio this morning about, you know, USC or the Pac-12 having any issues like getting into the playoff because you don't get to play those other teams. You know, there's the game against USC Alabama, the Oregon Ohio State game, the Washington Michigan game can all be litmus test, you know, where you're, you know, like how good these teams really are. You don't have that anymore. I think if USC or Oregon win the PAC 12, they got a really good shot as long as they don't have like two losses. Um, but you know, you don't know, you don't know what the other conferences are going to do, but if you allowed the extra teams into the playoffs then just say, okay, everyone give us your champion. We'll have five and then we'll pick three more. That's what the committee will do. We'll pick three more and seat them. And then everyone's got a shot. And I think that would be uh, a great, and then, you know, it's, it's sort of like one of those things where I think employers that were wary about working from home, you've proved the concept during this pandemic. And so something bad happened, forced you to do one thing that you didn't really want to do before. Then you go, oh, really, that's not that bad of a thing. We could really do this even when there's not a pandemic. And it might be a similar kind of thing. The pandemic forces a 18 playoff that people were worried about for this reason or that reason. It works well. And you're like, Oh, okay. We could do that. We've already done it. So it's one of those things where a bad thing, you get something good come out of a bad thing. And maybe that's the case here. Yeah. The shame of this year is that this was the biggest year in a long time for PAC 12 playing those kinds of games where you had Oregon, Ohio state and Michigan, Washington and USC, uh, Notre Dame and Alabama and Stanford, Notre Dame. I mean, this was a big, uh, year for those kinds of games and, and would have given the Pac-12 a chance to say, hey, look at us. Uh, you know, obviously, you got to yeah. play well. You got to yeah. you know, win some of those games. And, and what a shame is, Ohio State was coming to Oregon yes. this year. Notre Dame was coming to USC. That ain't happening next year. And, uh, and Michigan was going to Washington. So and you Michigan had, was going to Washington, yeah. right. The last couple of years, the big out of cop, you, know, you had USC on the, like, not on the road, but neutral site against Alabama. You had Oregon and Washington playing Auburn, but, you know, in the South. So these, you had two opportunities for Pac-12 powers to play Big Ten powers on their home turf, way up in the Pacific Northwest, which is not easy to do. And now you don't get that shot. Already time for the last email. Sounds good. It's from another Dan, Dan Orr in Coronado, California, who says, lads and lady, what do you make of the dissolution of the Trojan alumni clubs? We've been given no rationale for the decision, but they've shut down our website and Facebook page and cleaned out our bank account. Do you have any insight as to what their plan is or any rationale? We're here in San Diego and you're up there with your fingers on the pulse. And he says, P.S. I hope you'll still accept invitations to our luncheons when the COVID restrictions are over. Hey, Dan, we will. Yeah, that's (laughs) Our guy in San Diego, and uh, I don't think there is a pulse here. I mean, there aren't, there isn't anybody to take the pulse of. I don't think. I don't know how exactly that happened. Or, I mean, having been and we've all gotten a chance to go to the different Trojan clubs, 
and to see the kind of in a grassroots uh, way those guys, you know, guys and girls get together and all of that. And then to have them, you know, kind of, it sure looks heavy handed the way they just took them over and took over the uh, websites, took over the bank accounts, took over everything, took over the messaging, all of that. I, I, I didn't think that was the UFC way. I mean, I've had a, a chance to, to uh, cover both USC and UCLA. And UCLA was always the big bureaucratic top down. Here's the rule. Here are all the rules. Keep the rules, buddy. USC was always the private school that had more uh, of a personal relationship between people and all of that. And one wonders, is USC getting to be this big bureaucratic behemoth where, you know, the power resides at the top and they're going to tell you what to do, buddy, and you better do it. Uh, I, I certainly don't like, I can't, I can't imagine what it's like to be Dan and a, a guy who's been a stalwart uh, keeping the San Diego club going. And, you know, it's a great club and wonderful to go talk to in a visit with those guys. And, and then to, to have that just kind of taken away, uh, it, it's not a good look for USC, but we really haven't heard anything about how exactly that decision was made, who made it or why. Yeah. The, I was on the initial zoom call for most of it. Uh, there was, God, I think there might have been like 400 people on this one. So people from clubs all across the, the country and the world. Um, I just say in general, this was not a popular decision. Anyone that was part of a club, I didn't talk to a single person or hear a single person say, I like this, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I get the feeling from, you know, just talking to some people that people have sent me information and we might have uh, some guests on the show. I just haven't had time to kind of put that together. I'm trying to wrap my head around it and try to figure out what exactly is going on. But Dan, this might make sense to you. I, I got the the same feeling I got when the Coliseum renovation came out. That was, there's all these people that this is going to affect, this, this renovation. Getting rid of all the Trojan clubs like that, there's a lot of people this was going to affect. And I think they kind of knew the answer, so they didn't ask them. So uh, I feel like they knew the answer. People were going to say, I hate this idea for the Coliseum renovation. So they didn't ask anybody. They just, they made a decision at the top somewhere for whatever reason. What it, was it liability issues? Was it, I don't know. I don't know what was going I mean, on. To be, I, I, just for uh, interrupt for a minute, yeah. we still don't know who made that decision. Yeah. We have no idea <laughs> or why. But it was, so, it, yeah. but it was one of those on high come, here's the decree from the ivory tower. And then you have to shove it down all the peasants throats. And that's, I just got the same sort of feeling that all these people that volunteer their time, they were so involved in these clubs, and now they're being told the better way to do this is a online portal where any USC people can get together. And these are the people on the ground. And all the ones I've talked to are like, how difficult it is to grow these lists of clubs, to get people together, to get a game watch going at a bar, to have a luncheon and secure guests and raise money and send the scholarship you know, money back to USC. There's a lot involved in so many pieces, so many volunteers, people that work so hard at this stuff and to be told like, well, we're just going to do that with an online portal. Um, and all, basically they were all saying like, you don't realize how hard this is. Like, unless we're all doing all this work and making it happen, 
some online portal that's going to allow me to go, hey, I want to go watch a game. Anyone in San Diego will watch a game with me. Like, is that going to work? Like, I, it, it didn't seem like it. And so the problem I had was it's just people were in these clubs for 30, 40 years, like working around. And just to be told it's gone. And the people would say, hey, we need access to your Facebook page for your club. And then they get taken over and get locked out. There's just something didn't feel right, you know? It didn't feel, and I need to talk uh, to some of the powers that be at USC and kind of get their opinions. I heard, you know, from them when they were on the Zoom call and what they were telling everybody, but everyone was mad. Everyone was so upset that they were doing this. No one could understand why. And I think they were trying to be respectful, but they were just pissed. They, They were honestly pissed of what USC had done. And I didn't see, like, nothing that they said came off to me as like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You ne- you needed to get rid of these clubs quickly. Like, no, like, could you have had a meeting with all of the club presidents or whatever? And like, Hey, here's what's wrong. Here's why we want to do this. And they're all going to fight, you know, to, and at least give them a chance to fight and say why this is a dumb idea. Why this is a bad idea. What if we did this? What if we did this? If, oh, that's a problem. We can fix it this way. It just was this decision that was made handed down. And whenever you have a decision that's made handed down, people hate change. We get it. Even if it's a good change, a lot of times people hate it. Everyone hated this. And so it just did not seem like it was a good change. And I don't know why it happened. And I'm, I'm sorry, Dan, that it happened to you. But if you guys keep doing you know, events or you organize events through the portal, whatever, you know, any of us will come down and speak. Uh, that's the last thing I did before COVID was down there uh, at their club. Me and Jake Olson were speaking uh, at the club. I think it was March 12th or whatever. It was like really like the night before everything got shut down or at it was things were getting shut down while we were at the club. So, um, there was like the last group thing I did. seems like a lifetime ago. I remember cause you, that was after the first practice spring practice. So you called and told me about the, the event and I told you about practice. And then yes. I was like, I'm not sure what's going to happen next. And look where we are a couple months later. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. But yeah, I, I don't know. Keely, have you heard anything about it or just yeah, I mean, I have a lot of friends who came to me because I'm like the USC beacon and they were like, what's happening? And they were just pretty much heartbroken because uh, there is a lot of, like you said, Ryan, time, effort put into these clubs. And then to have the university that you've essentially been putting the blood, sweat and tears for the work in for kind of take it away from you with no real valid explanation. I just felt like a lot of pain and frustration from people who came to me asking what was happening. And, and it just seems like no one really understands why. And I think you guys covered it exactly. It just seems pretty, just not understandable at this point. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's, that's uh, all we got. We'll try to find out more, uh, Dan. And I, I've, I've definitely had emails from different club leaders and I got some other calls I need to make uh, just to kind of pick people's brains and stuff. Cause I've, I've definitely had people vent to me too. Um, and so I want to understand, you know, I, I think I understand a lot of their pain, but I, I need to understand sort of why this is happening and, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know at this point. So, uh, all right, well, I guess we'll wrap things up. Um, a long guys, one. It was a long one. Yeah. You guys stay safe out there. I did yesterday. Harvey Hyde show usually goes like half hour, 40 minutes. We went over an hour. <laughs> the podcast of champions went two hours. So I was like a lot of podcasting. Wow. My mouth, my mouth needs a rest. Yeah. We didn't help you out today then. <laughs> no, a lot of talking. Most of it's my own doing. So well, we're in one of those podcasts or us uh, moment when there isn't a whole lot else 
out there to do. Yeah. Which is fun. I like doing, I mean, I've, I've definitely followed some podcasts and they've fallen off and haven't done as many episodes. Um, we're trying to keep them up and keep doing them. So I hope you guys are enjoying them. I mean, it might be tough if like say the season gets postponed until the spring, but right now there's at least always speculation and news and there's a lot of things happening. It just, you know, we don't know if it's actually going to be football or not, but we'll see. Um, all right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Keely, you're Dan Weber. I am Ryan Abraham. We really do appreciate you listening to us here on the Peristyle podcast. Please be safe and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+.